Well, we've been following along in our study of God's Clock, developed by Norris Anderson with Cornerstone Ministries. And so far, we have run through the creation at 1 o'clock, man's sin at 2 o'clock, the incarnation, Christ becomes a man at 3 o'clock, at 4 o'clock, the atonement, the purpose for which he came to earth, and now, the resurrection. Most of the attacks today on the resurrection are just a rehash of past infidel arguments throughout the centuries. And it might go something like this. Well, most Bible scholars don't believe in a literal resurrection. Uh, really? Or we don't even really know who wrote the gospel accounts. Is that right? Or the gospel writers, whoever they were, were not witnesses to the resurrection. Did they say that? In fact, no one saw Christ leave the tomb. He probably snuck off in the night so Pilate couldn't get Him and crucify Him again. Or the so-called evidence for the resurrection would quickly be dismissed in a modern court of law. Dr. Simon Greenleaf was a very prominent professor at Harvard University. He lived at the turn of the 19th century and he was one of the main men who began Harvard Law School, and he was a skeptic. And he used his classroom as a bully pulpit to make fun of Christians and ridicule everything about Christianity. So one of his students suggested to him, why don't you take the evidence given in Scripture and weigh that according to the three volumes that you have written on evidence allowable in the courtroom, and why don't you just put this myth to rest once for all. So he decided that's exactly what he would do. And he began to study the internal evidence for the resurrection of Christ given in the Scripture. After a period of time, he decided that the resurrection of Christ was one of the greatest historical facts attested by the evidence presented, and he wrote a book about it. You can read it right on the internet. The testimony of the evangelists examined by the rules of evidence administered in the courts of justice. Now today, we're not going to take the evidence for the resurrection through the process that he took it through, but we're going to simply take a look at what the Scripture says about Christ resurrection and use that as a launching pad for our celebration of His death, burial, and resurrection in the Lord's Supper. So we'll look at the nature of the resurrection. Now in the book of Acts, Peter and the eleven disciples are preaching. Peter actually is the one delivering the message, but the eleven disciples are there with him. And this is the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit has come down. And they're not speaking in unknown tongues. They're speaking in the language of the hearers. And there are people there from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Egypt, Mesopotamia, the Parthians, the Medes. There are all kinds of people there present for His sermon. But it's kind of like the United Nations. They're all hearing what He is saying right in their own language even without the headphones. 
So he gives them a great sermon that you can read about in Acts 2, and he concludes his sermon with this. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. It's a fact. And there were a number of witnesses, even as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, more than 500 at one time. Paul writes in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. If you want to know the power of the resurrection, and you're serious about knowing Christ, well, read the second part of that verse and the fellowship of His suffering. You've got to really want to know Christ if you're praying that verse. We're not asking for suffering. But it comes with the package. Here we see the power of the resurrection. Now, we talked about back on Resurrection Day in the month of April, the fact that the Scripture tells us in John 5.28 that every person who ever lived on this earth will be raised again. Some to eternal life, some to eternal condemnation. Resurrection power is going to be evident again one day. But that same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us every day. Now you might say, we can't raise anybody from the dead. Well, that's not what God has called us to do right now. God has called us to raise people from the dead spiritually, at least to be the means, to be the messenger through whom He, His Spirit would raise people from their spiritual death into a new life in Christ. Well, this is interesting. The last part of the verse, Mark 10.34, three days later, He will rise. Let me give you the context beginning in verse 33. We're going up to Jerusalem, Jesus said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn Him to death and hand Him over to the Gentiles who will mock Him and spit upon Him and flog Him and kill Him. Three days later, He will rise. Now that's hard to do. Predict your own death and then predict that three days after that you will rise again. So we see that the resurrection is a fact. There was great resurrection power exerted to bring Jesus forth from the grave. Remember what condition He was in. And not only that, it was predicted ahead of time. Who played a part in the action? with regard to the resurrection. Well, we see God the Father, God raised Him from the dead in Acts 13.30. But then we see Christ the Son. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Christ laid down His life voluntarily. Christ takes up His life again. But how did all that happen? 1 Peter 3.18, He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. And so we see that the Holy Spirit also has a part in the resurrection. Now, this would be one of the best arguments for the Trinity in Scripture. If you have these verses marked in your Bible, when a Jehovah's Witness comes to knock on the door, you can open up your Bible and show them that all three persons of the Trinity do the work of what's being done. We saw it in creation. 
Uh, we've seen it in some other doctrines that we've studied, and we're going to see it right on through as we study uh, the rest of what's happening in the New Testament. We ask the question, what is the result of the resurrection? What did it produce? Romans 4.25 He was delivered over to death for our sin and was raised to life for our justification. God's law has been satisfied through His grace by the atonement of Christ. We studied about that in the atonement. But now God can graciously impute to our account Christ's righteousness and take our sin and put it upon Christ. And as Max has already stated, when God sees us now, He sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We still have some sin that we're working on, but our legal standing is not just not guilty and we slink off out of the courtroom. Our legal standing now is righteous before God. Now that is a profound thought when we think about it. The resurrection purchased for us justification because it validated what Christ did on the cross. Romans 7, So brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Now this passage is given in the context of a husband and wife in marriage. And it is said, if the husband dies, then the wife is free from the law to marry someone else. Christ, you remember, is the husband. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. When Christ died on the cross, it meant that we were free from the law of sin and death, the indictment of the law, and now we were able to serve Him through His grace. As we see from the Scripture, there are many pictures of what this looks like in the reality of life. And the resurrection authorized and confirmed what Christ was doing to set us free. Now we are married to Him. Now we are out of the family we used to be in when the devil was our father, according to what Jesus said. Either God is your father or the devil is your father. But He's called us out of darkness and into His light if we belong to Him. Romans 6.5, if we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. His resurrection produces our resurrection. And you remember where Paul tells us that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then he tells us that one day we will be raised from the dead if we belong to Him. Resurrection for us to eternal life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now the idea of that verb rescues, which is sometimes translated delivers, 
The idea is flowing down a stream where there is a swift current. And I'm in a river, and the current is rapidly taking me out to sea, and I'm going to be lost at sea. But suddenly I hear something, and it's not a canoe paddling through the water. It's one of those Coast Guard cutters, 2,000 horsepower, banging through the waves, and he's coming to pick me up. He's coming against the current of the river. It doesn't make any difference to him. He's got the power to do it. What kind of a deliverer would Christ be if He were still in the grave? Check out all of the other religious founders. All of the other religious founders of the world's major religions. Where are they today? But Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, exercising all authority in heaven and on earth. He rescues us. Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Now in between what's on the screen, it says where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. He has a glorified body. You will have a glorified body if you belong to Him. What set your heart on things above? Set your mind on things above? Then I would be so heavenly minded I wouldn't be any earthly good. Well, I doubt if anybody's going to really have that problem. You might be so heavenly minded that you're not any worldly good but I don't think that uh, just because you're focused on Christ and on His authorization of all you do, His overseeing everything that happens, I don't think that's going to harm your earthly ministry. I think it's going to enhance it. And then Ephesians 1. And this is a longer passage. I pray also the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength. In other words, resurrection power. Which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. He placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills everything in every way. If you claim to be a Christian and you're not affiliated with the church, you're disconnected from the body. That won't do. You can't have the little pinky sitting over here by himself and all the body functioning here under the head. The finger's not going to be able to do his job unless he's connected. And we need to be connected with the church. We can be connected with all kinds of Christian organizations. That's wonderful, parachurch organizations. But the thing that Christ came to die for was the church. His people in the church. And we in this church appreciate those who help us do the task we've been given to do. Our missions organizations and those who represent them. But we need to be affiliated with the church. So let's get a review. From the resurrection, we see justification. We see sanctification. That's bearing the fruit. Resurrection in that we'll be resurrected one day. 
rescue, glorification, and of course, the church. Now, if you're going to build a building or any other structure, you need a solid foundation. And we want what we do to be based on the truth. John chapter 2 and verse 18. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this things you're doing? Forgiving people of their sin and raising the dead and all that sort of thing. How do we know you can do that? Now Moses came with signs and wonders. And he had a rod he could turn into a snake. Where's your rod? We, we want to see that. Bring it on out right now, if you will. How do you think Jesus is going to answer them? Well, you already know the answer. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it up in three days? But the temple that He had spoken of was His body. Are you listening? Tuesday night we were talking about the fact that it's sometimes difficult to listen to what Jesus has said. Especially now, since to us, He's not saying it. It's written right there on the page. But the Holy Spirit speaks it to us as we read it off the page. If you're listening to what Jesus says, meaning the promises in Scripture, claiming those promises, you can save yourself a lot of grief. Check out this verse. After He was raised from the dead, His disciples recalled what he had said. Christ predicted His death 21 times in the Gospels. 21 separate times. And on eight of those times, He predicted His resurrection. And yet, when it happened, everybody was completely amazed. But then, they recalled what He had said. When Christ returns to this earth, do you think everybody's going to be amazed? Yeah, but we'll be remembering, won't we? We won't forget. Now that's a big one. But there are many things in Scripture that relate to our daily lives that we need to be thinking about. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Many other passages that if we remember them, and what Jesus said, if we believe it, it will save us some grief. Then they believed the Scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Seeing is believing. But John 20, 29, in John 20, 29, Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, because you've seen Me, you've believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And that would be you and Myself. We've never seen Christ in person. We may have seen a vision of Him. We see Him in the Scripture, and yet we believe because one day we will see Him again. Well, there's our resurrection. It's the foundation of accepting for accepting the Old and New Testaments. And now we want to consider the foundation of faith, hope, love, and joy. 1 Corinthians 15:14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If there's not a literal resurrection, we're wasting our time here today. We might as well be out in a boat somewhere fishing or whatever else you like to do. 
because that is the basis of our faith. We've got to build on a strong foundation, and the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. 1 Peter 1, 3. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not only the foundation of faith, it's the foundation of hope. Romans 8, 34 and 35, we've had to abbreviate this so we can get it on the screen. Christ Jesus who died, who was raised to life, is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Faith, hope, and love. We know which one is the greatest, and it's because of His great love that He went to Calvary and suffered not only the physical agony of the resurrection, but He suffered the penalty for our sin. No wonder He said, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? But there's more. Have you got this one this morning? So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell His disciples. The final result, if Christ be not raised. Now imagine that you had lived back in that day, and you had known about Christ, and you had seen some of the things that He did, and it was just incredible to everyone. Not only that, you heard the message that He brought. Great message of hope, the fulfillment of all the Messianic prophecies it looked like. Of course, He didn't come as the ruling king. He came as the suffering servant. And some misinterpreted that. But imagine then that you saw Christ's dead body after the crucifixion. Faith would be unfounded. Because here's the man on whom everything was built, and now he is dead. Hope would be disheartened. There wouldn't be any heart left to hope. Love would be dislocated. We thought that it was Christ who was showing us the love of God, but now instead of ruling over all and bringing in peace and prosperity, now He's gone. He is dead. Joy would be unjustified because all of those things that He spoke have come suddenly to an end. Imagine what you would feel in your heart if you were looking at the dead body of Christ after the resurrection. I want you to take a look at the little girl over on the side that's looking there at Christ. Here's a close-up of the expression that's on her face. And there is a verse that Paul gives us that fits with the forlorn expression of her countenance. And it's from 1 Corinthians. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But, 
the good news, the final result of Christ being raised. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 26. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, <clears throat> then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when, the hand, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father <clears throat> after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Do you belong to him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the power that raises us to new life spiritually as a picture of what's going to happen physically when we receive a new body and live in a new heavens and a new earth with you eternally. Lord, I pray that we might examine our hearts this morning and to see if we belong to you. Are we doing the things that you have called us to do? Do we have the attitude of Christ, seeing others as more important than ourselves, looking not only to our own interests, but also the interests of others? Uh, Lord, help us to take inventory to see if we are going to the nations to make disciples. If we are making disciples right here in Fredericksburg, if we are sending others who will go to other lands. We thank you that we have a faith that is based on historical fact. And we thank you for the hope of a resurrection and an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade that you kept in heaven for us. And we thank you, Lord, for your great love that you have a future planned for us and a hope. And Lord, that brings joy to our hearts. And we ask that as we participate in this Lord's Supper ceremony, that we might be reminded as never before of the implications of the resurrection. We pray that that might motivate us to examine our hearts and see if there be any wrongful thing there and exercise that great privilege you've given us to confess our sin, knowing that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who has doubt as to whether or not they belong to you, that this would be their day to come to you in true repentance and saving faith to acknowledge their sin, to invite your forgiveness, and to ask you to take control of their lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.
The young men are going to be passing out the elements, and as they do, I trust that you would use this time as a time of self-examination, maybe read some of those scriptures that we have covered this morning, and then we will partake of the Lord's Supper together. We see in the scripture that the night they were gathered there together, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, and he said to them, take this and eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for the body of Christ. And we thank you that the body of Christ is alive and well because your body was broken for us. We ask this morning as we think about your crucifixion and your resurrection that you would remind us of what you have done to show us your great love. And we ask, Lord, that that would be a motivation to us to love you and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. And then they'll pass out the cup. I want to call on John Willing in just a moment to lead us in prayer. The scripture tells us that the life is in the blood. What a graphic way to picture the seriousness of sin through the shedding of blood. All the little animals in the Old Testament pointing to the perfect Lamb of God and the sacrifice of Christ. Let's thank the Lord Jesus for shedding His blood for us as John leads our prayer. And then Jesus said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until He comes. We're going to have a time of prayer now. I want to call on Michael Clark, if you would, to lead us uh, to begin our prayer. I want to invite some of the men, the young men, to uh, join us as we pray. And...